If you would please turn in your Bibles to Luke and chapter 15. Now, since it is uh, Father's Day, and um, I want to look at not the entire parable of the prodigal son, but just the um, reaction of the father on the return of his son from being far away. Let's start reading at um, verse 17. And read down through 24. Please stand for the call, I mean, for the reading of God's word this morning. This is the son who left home. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have more than enough to eat? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven. And before you, I am no longer the worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring quickly and the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and socks and shoes on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Please be seated. Let's go to God in prayer. Pray for me as I try to preach this text and pray for yourselves as you sit under the proclamation of God's word this morning. Almighty God, we thank you for the Holy Scriptures. They are God-breathed and profitable. Thank you, O God, that you have called men to preach. I thank you, Father, for that privilege, and yet it is a very great responsibility as well. I do ask you to be with me as I preach this text. Pray that you help me to have recall and that you give me the help of your spirit. Pray for your people that are here, that we would have a greater picture of your grace to us in Jesus a greater understanding of your love and compassion. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Nothing can break a father's heart like that of a wayward son or daughter. I remember listening many, many years ago now to a pastor. I cannot remember who it was. But he talked about how heartbreaking it was to him that he who loved the Lord and God's word so much had children that cared nothing for the Bible and did not make any pretense about worshiping Christ at all. I mean, I can't imagine the heartbreak of that. Some parents are estranged from their children because they have faith, and their children do not have faith. And it is that they are divided for biblical reasons, because the parents embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ, and the children do not. In the parable this morning, uh, there are two sons. I'm sure most of you are familiar with the parable. One son dutifully does all that he is supposed to do. He does what his father asked him to do. From all appearances, he is the ideal son. 
The other son, however, has a wild streak in him. And he asks his father to give him his share for his inheritance. And he goes off to a strange land. And with righteous living, he goes through all of his money. He is left taking care of pigs. And as you know, pigs were detestable to Jews. They were unclean. And it says in the text that I did not read that he longed to feed himself with the pods that the pigs were eating. And he finally comes to his senses and he goes home and to see if his daddy will take him back. He doesn't know what his father's going to do. Jesus told this parable, for one thing, to demonstrate his love for sinners. Another thing, against the Pharisees who were shutting people out of the kingdom by rejecting the teachings of Christ and the true God of the Scriptures. I want to have us to see this this morning because God is always ready to receive repentant sinners back into a relationship with himself because he is always ready to grant grace to true repentant people. We should be encouraged to constantly come to God for forgiveness. He's not going to turn us away. Three things this morning. Uh, the great compassion of the Father as seen in his reception of his Son. The great compassion of the Father as seen in his restoration of his Son. And the great compassion of the Father as seen in his rejoicing over his Son. And the first thing, then, the great compassion of the Father as seen in the reception of his Son. The first thing that we need to understand as we look at this text is the Son deserved no mercy. He deserved no favor. He said, in effect, give me what is mine and I am going to leave. So what he did basically is he rejected his father. He rejected his family. He also, by forsaking his family, forsook God as well. Also, he had completely burned his bridges that he had with his family. And his trouble that he's in is all because of his own foolishness. Uh, he wasted his inheritance on excessiveness and lawless pleasures. He was a squanderer. He was a poor manager of his money. It would be one thing if he had made some investments and had lost money through poor investments. It's quite another to take his money and waste it on righteous living and come to the end of it. It is all because of his fault. His son had acted in such a way that his rebellion was not just against the father. His rebellion also was against God. He knew he was living a lifestyle that God did not approve of. He understood that. Well, consider how the father may have responded to his son. How the father may have responded to his son who was returning from a foreign land. His father was a wealthy man. His father was a man of position. His father was a man that had many servants. His father was a man that was most successful. He could have sent servants out to tell him, uh, you're not welcome here. The estrangement, you see, that would come from a father who had had enough of his son. You're not welcome here. He could have sent a servant out to him and had him tell him that he was not welcome there. You have no job. You have no place at my table. You have no part of my family. The father could have done that and been justified in doing so. Uh, the father would not have been in sin had he said that to his son. Again, because his son rejected him, rejected his God, and uh, he would not have been wrong not to welcome him back. Well, the father, as the son goes home, he hopes that he at least might be a slave in his father's home. Well, what happens? 
we read here in the text. He sees his son while he is a long way off. Imagine this man maybe hoping day by day to see his son coming back home. And, you know, if you have a child that leaves, you don't know where they is. You want him to come back. Uh, I imagine each day he was out looking down the road to see if it's today might be the day that his son was going to come home. If the day might be the day that he would come to repentance and come back to a father who loved him very, very deeply. Perhaps looking down day by day, morning by morning, afternoon by afternoon, looking and hoping that his son would come back. The father wanted his son to come home. That was his desire. Why did the father want his son to come home? Because he loved him. One word, love. The father desired his son to be back with him, back in his family, back in his house, back around him in his presence and his company because he loved him. And what happens is the father accepts his son with joy. The reaction of the father demonstrates true forgiveness. The reaction of the father shows that all is forgiven. And what is forgiveness? What is true forgiveness? Well, it's not remembering. It's not holding things against someone. It's not holding the grudge. Remember what it says in the Old Testament. As far as the east is from the west, so far has it removed our transgressions from us. That saying, I have forgiven, but I will never forget. That's not forgiveness. The Father here is a demonstration of true forgiveness. Runs to a son. There's no barrier. There's nothing blocking the relationship because the father has accepted his son back completely. All is forgiven. Did the father know how his son lived? Sure he did. Sure he did. He knew what his son was going to do. He knew why his son wanted his money. How did he know that? Because he knew his character. That's how he knew it. He knew his son was a wild boy. He knew his son was a wild man. He knew his son was going to go and make a wreck of his life. He knew that. And as he sees his son coming back in the condition he's in, he knows that it proved to be true. He accepted him. He embraced him because the father loved his son. So the first thing then, the great compassion of the father is seen in his reception of his son. The second thing is the great compassion of the father is seen in his restoration of his son. The son demonstrates true sorrow for what he had done, the way he had lived, the way he had behaved. Father, I have sinned against heaven. And saying, I have sinned against God. I know the things that I did. I know the way that I was living was contrary to God's will for me. I understand that. And did I care at the time? No, I didn't care. My heart was hardened. I was all about pleasure. I was all about fulfilling the desires of my heart. I have sinned against heaven. But more than that, and not only that, I've sinned against you as my father. I have taken what should not have been mine at that point. I have acted in such a way as to dishonor, to displease you. I have behaved in such a way as to bring shame to your name. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. I have sinned against heaven. I have sinned against you. The first step in true repentance is recognizing and confessing our sin to God. The first step in true repentance is recognizing our sin. Owning our sin and confessing it to God. And when you confess to God and verbalize your sin, you have to own it that way. You just say, forgive me for my sins, amen. No, you verbalize what you did. Father, I did 
such and such, and you know it. Forgive me. Forgive me for that. And grant me the grace and repentance not to do it again. So the son is going to request his father to be a servant. That was his plan. He was willing to do that. At least he would have a place to live, food to eat. But that is not what happened. Before he even gets to ask his father, make me one of your servants, the father expresses affection for this son the moment he sees him. His heart is warmed by the appearance of his son. Do you get that? He sees him coming down the road. There's no quandary in his thinking. There's no conflict in his decision. He sees his son and his heart goes out to his son. He's thrilled. He's delighted. His son is coming home. He is greatly pleased by that. His father sees his son walking. He's filthy. He's in tattered clothing. We learn he has no shoes. It's very likely he stinks of pig. He is a broken man. And the father sees him. And what does Jesus say? He had compassion on him. (laughs) Compassion is something that is lacking too often in the church these days. Not talking about Southwest per se, just in general among the Christian community, I think compassion is something that is just not there as it should be in so many, many different places. So he is sympathetic toward his son. He has pity toward his son. He has compassion on him while he is a long way off. He sees him and his heart goes out to him. What does the father do? He runs. He starts running. He wants to close the gap of distance between himself and his son. So he runs to his son because he loves him so and desires to be with him, desires to see him. And notice what he does. He embraces his son. The Greek word here means to seize, to fall upon. Uh, A common term would be he gave him a bear hug. you know, not one of these side hugs, that kind of thing, but wrapped his arms around him. Held him tightly. Squeezed him. Because he was happy. He was happy and pleased to see his son. So he runs to his son and grabs him. Uh, he does not say, I knew that you'd come back like this. I told you when you left that you would end up like this. He doesn't do that. He runs to him, he embraces him, and then he finally he kisses him. This was a sign of true and sincere affection and reconciliation. This at once displayed, dispelled all doubts in the mind of the son whether his father would forgive him. He grabs on to him, he hugs him, and he kisses him. A kiss now, as it was then, was a sign of deep affection. What a contrary, a picture, that here this son who deserved no good thing, he well could have taken him in to be a servant. And yet the father acts as if he had done nothing wrong because he forgives him. He knows he's coming back broken. He knows he's coming back with a broken heart and repentant. And so he runs to him 
He embraces him and he kisses him. This demonstrates two things. The same thing that God has toward us. The first thing is unconditional, deep, and abiding love. Unconditional, deep, and abiding love. We see that expressed in this parable by the Father. Remember, Jesus is telling this parable. We see that expressed here. Unconditional and deep, abiding love. God has that for us. And again, you're getting here a picture of Christ in this parable as he's describing to the Pharisees what he is like and why he is there. And of the great triune God and how God treats us as his people that he has an unconditional, deep, abiding love for us. We do not have to merit God's love. It would be pitiful if we did because none of us could do it. The second thing that we see here is forgiveness. The father did not hold the son's sins against him. As God does not hold our sins against us. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. If I may read this quote to you. The prodigal who wasted asked his father for his share of his inheritance before his father died. The prodigal had lived off, lived a wanton, wicked, a wanton life of wickedness and unrestrained recklessness is completely restored as a son. Who asked for his inheritance before his daddy died. He went off and wasted it. And now he is welcomed back and completely restored as a son. And notice what he does here. He said, bring the robe. Bring the best robe and put it on him. You see, his clothes are tattered and they're dirty. Bring the best robe, he says, and put it on him. This is probably a special robe for celebrations because they're getting ready to celebrate. Put a ring on his hand. Bring the robe, put a ring on his hand. To wear a ring on the hand was a mark of wealth and dignity. You remember what in James, the book of James where he says, if someone comes into your presence, uh, they're wearing a gold ring and fine clothes in your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in, and you treat the one with favor who has the ring. It's a, it's a symbol of wealth. It's a symbol of dignity. It has meaning, you see, when the father says, bring the robe and bring the ring and put it on his hand. He also tells them to put shoes on his feet. The son's apparently barefoot. No sandals. No shoes. No covering for his feet. The son, by his own sin, his own lawlessness, his own wickedness, had lost everything that he had. He left a wealthy man with his share of the inheritance. He came back broke. He returned with nothing. He left full of himself, arrogant and prideful. He returns humbled because he has been brought to the end of his rope, if you will. He has nothing. But you see the great love and kindness that the father has for his son. Most servants do not wear shoes. Most servants did not wear shoes. The father is saying, in effect here, he's not going to be treated as a servant. He is going to be treated as my son. Which he is. So the great compassion of the father is seen in his restoration of his son. The third thing is, the great compassion of the father is seen in his rejoicing over his son. The father is going to throw a party. They're going to celebrate. And it says here in these words, beautiful words that Christ sees here, this son of mine was dead. Now he is alive. Isn't it so like someone who was born again? This son of mine was dead. 
and now he is alive. Go kill the fatted calf, prepare it quickly, and we are going to eat, and we are going to celebrate. This whole parable is designed to denote to us the readiness of God to pardon and forgive our sins. This is a picture of God, if you will, an image of God, and what he's like when it comes to people coming to him who are sinners. It is beautiful what is described here in this parable, that those who have no claim on God's grace, no claim on God's gifts, no claim on God's blessings are given those things. Because of the love God has for us as his people. And it's not that we are lovely in and of ourselves before him. It is he loves us in spite of who we are and what we are lying. Because by, by nature, we are completely contrary to the nature of God. And he's a just God. And he's a wrathful God. But he took his wrath out in the person of his son so that he might express kindness and grace to us. Don't ever let the gospel be taken for granted in your thinking. Or let it become ho-hum. Repentance is mandatory in order to be received by God. It is mandatory. Turning away from sin is mandatory. We read in Job 36.10, He opened their ears to instruction and commands that they return from iniquity. Jeremiah 15.19, Therefore, thus says the Lord, if you return, I will restore you. And you shall stand before me. Ezekiel 18.30, Therefore I will judge you, O house of Israel, everyone according to his ways, declares the Lord God. Repent and turn from all your transgressions, lest iniquity be your ruin, as it was in the case of the prodigal. Iniquity was his ruin. Matthew 3.2, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Acts 2.38-39, Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you. In the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and for your children. There's a covenant. You see that covenant of promise. I'll be a God to you and to your children after you, we read in the Scriptures. So, Acts 13, 319, repent, therefore, and turn again away from your sins. The repentant man is always accepted by God. The one who is truly repentant, the one who is truly sorry, the one who is truly grieved over what they've done, and the one who truly comes to God believing that Christ is the one and only source of redemption, and that if he believes and trusts and trust in him and repents, God's going to accept him. There is a little catechism. Verse 87, this question, what is repentance unto life? What is repentance unto life? Repentance unto life is a saving grace whereby a sinner out of a true sense of his, of his sin and apprehension of the mercy of God in Christ does, with grief and hatred of his sin, turn from it unto God with full purpose of and endeavor after new obedience. That's that, you see, that, that striving after sanctification, striving to be holy before the Lord now, that we've been converted. He does in true uh, apprehension of the mercy of God in Christ, does with grief and hatred of his sin. You see, there's that that attitude that we have to have towards sin, that we should have towards sin. We don't have it all the time. We're we're honest with ourselves. We don't. If we're we're honest, we must say we love sin. There are times when we love it. Otherwise, we would never commit it. There are times when it takes place and foremost place in our heart and pushes Christ out. Those are those sins that we commit knowing that we're committing them. 
yet God who sees us, who knows what we're doing, receives us back as we come to him in repentance. Not once, not twice, but again and again and again. So hatred for the sin, turning from it unto God with the full purpose of and endeavor after obedience. New obedience, endeavoring to be pleasing to God. Jesus said, John 14, 15, what did he say? If you love me, you might keep my commandments. If you love me, you'll do your best to keep my commandments. That's not what it says at all. You know that. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. I talked about a child who can break his father's heart. What about a father who breaks his child's heart? What about that? Our fathers exempted for how they treat their children? And the answer is no. Colossians 3.21 says this, Fathers, do not exasperate your children so they do not lose heart. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they do not lose heart. Fathers are not called to be cruel, to be mean, to be harsh and hard. They are called to discipline. We are called to discipline our children in the fear and knowledge of the Lord. But not to be mean, not to be cruel, not to break their spirits. And I guarantee you this. Every father in here has had an occasion that he needed to apologize to his children. I did. Many times. Every father that has a child at some point or another has done something that is just wrong. Deal with them in too much anger or deal with them in anger at all. We should never discipline children in anger when you're angry. That's just not, that's not a wise thing to do. It's not right to do that either. So every father in here has had an occasion to apologize to their children for one reason or another. And there is no heart as tender as that of a child. Four, five, six, seven-year-old children, ten-year-old children, their heart's tender. And you treat them recognizing the tenderness of that heart. And you treat them also recognizing that God holds you accountable to how you discipline those children. Also holds you accountable if you don't discipline those children. But a child's heart is a very, very tender thing. And how it is that as a father's, and we have the responsibility to recognize that and deal with them tenderly and yet faithfully before the Lord. Correcting wrong, but not, being, not doing so in such a way as to be harsh and to be cruel. I was at Texas Children's Hospital one time, a long time ago, a long, long time ago. I was up there with Lee Joseph. Lee Joseph had a son who was in a, riding in the back of a pickup truck. There was a wreck, and he came out. He hit his head. He was walking around after the wreck, but after a while, the brain began to swell, and he had some significant brain trauma. I was in the waiting room. Uh, Lee and his wife were back with their son, and there was this young boy sitting in there. He's probably maybe 12 or 13 years old. It's hard to tell. Severely, severely challenged. I don't know that he could respond to anything. Uh, he had some physical uh, evidences that there was something wrong. 
and one of the most tender things I saw. The Father. Leaned forward and kissed him. Kissed his son. That is what God does to us. That's what is explained here in this text. That's how God treats us. That there's nothing that we can do to make ourselves right with God. There's nothing that we can do to earn His pleasure. That it's all an expression of God's grace and God's kindness. As that father who kissed his son, his son couldn't respond to it. You know, there in the heart of that father, that daddy was love, that child. That's how God is with us. Compassionate, loving, gracious, and merciful. And it should be that we would all the more be willing to go to him and um, repentance. Why in the world do people reject Christ? Why? Uh, there was never, ever a more lovely man, never a more a perfectly righteous man. Why do people reject Christ? It makes no sense at all. That they would rather hold on to their unbelief, they would rather hold on to their sin and go to hell, and then know Christ. It makes no sense. Jerry Packer, in his book, I Want to Be a Christian, there's a section there on the Lord's Prayer, and he talks about our Father. And he says this in that section of his book. If you had a father who was not loving, a father who was not there, a father who was cruel, he said you can recognize in God have a father that's loving and kind always. He does not always give us what we ask for. He does not always give us what we want. But he always gives us what we need. And we have to trust him. We trust in his goodness. We trust in his wisdom. So our God, don't let any sin keep you away from going to God. Because he accepts us. If you come through faith in Christ, if you trust in Jesus, that door is open for you always. Let's pray.